1: What Paul is saying is, as we hold out the precious Word of God to people, let's make sure that our character shines in a a dark and sinful culture. Instead of griping and complaining about our lives and God's treatment of us, let's focus on living a life that is above reproach, living a life that is above being criticized for some glaring sin, especially the sin of complaining and griping, which we all tend to do at times. That is is what Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians, at least one aspect of it.
2: In Acts chapter 1, Jesus tells us, You shall be my witnesses. That wasn't a command as much as it was a statement of fact, you shall. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, Paul described himself and us as ambassadors for Christ as we represent him in seeking to reconcile sinners with their God. But are we effective representatives? Are we the kind of witnesses that a jury would believe? Or do our lives put the lie to our testimony? Thanks for tuning in today as Pastor Steve Kreloff continues this study of 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and some of the hindrances to the Gospel. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, and his expository or verse-by-verse style of teaching is the reason we call this daily Bible class verse-by-verse. One of the things we need to be careful about as we live out our lives as ambassadors for Christ is that we do nothing that would dishonor Him. We usually think of that in terms of some gross moral misconduct such as adultery or theft. But what about grumbling? Living in Honduras for nine years has altered my perspective on what's worth griping about. So when someone whines about their garage door opener not working, I find it hard to be very sympathetic. And the challenges of living in a developing country are nothing compared to what Paul experienced. Let's open our Bibles now to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Here's Pastor Steve.
1: Well, the ministry has never been an easy calling. And one of the special challenges of serving Christ in the ministry is to get along with all sorts of people. People from different backgrounds, people with different tastes and opinions, including the opinion of what a pastor should be like. Recently, I read an article about the kind of pastor a man would have to be in order to please everybody, in order to satisfy everyone's preference. It said this, After hundreds of years, a model preacher has been found to suit everyone. He preaches exactly 20 minutes and then sits down. Why was that funny? (laughs) He condemns sin but never hurts anyone's feelings. He works from 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. in every type of work, from preaching to custodial service. He tithes weekly to the church and stands ready to contribute to every good work that comes along. He's 26 years old and has been preaching 30 years. He's tall and short, thin and heavyset and handsome. He has one brown eye and one blue, and I thought it sounds more like a Siberian husky than an individual, but his hair parted down the middle, left side dark and straight, the right brown and wavy. He has a burning desire to work with teenagers and spends all of his time with older folks. He smiles all the time with a straight face because he has a sense of humor that keeps him seriously dedicated to his work. He makes 15 calls a day on church members, spends all of his time evangelizing the unchurched, and is never out of the office. Well, that concept of a model preacher is a man who would appeal to everyone because that kind of individual tries to please everyone but that was not the perspective the Apostle Paul had about the ministry. He had a very different perspective of what a servant of God was to be like. I'd like you to open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians, beginning at chapter 1, because in our studies of 2 Corinthians, Paul has, has given us several glimpses, several glimpses of what a Christian leader is to be like. Now, this book is not about leadership. This book, this letter is Paul's defense before the church at Corinth, because they listened, unfortunately, to to false teachers who had come into their church and said, Paul was not a real apostle. Paul was not a real man of God. Paul was this. Paul was that. And they tried to undermine his ministry and thus undermine the apostolic work of the apostle. And so what he does is, in opening his heart, to the Corinthians, he tells them, this is how I've handled my ministry. He really opens his heart and says, if you want to know what a Christian leader is like, a credible leader, let me tell you, not in a bragging sense, not in an arrogant sense, but in a sense that says, this is how we conduct ourselves in light of our holy calling. And so it begins in chapter one, where he says in verses 12 and 13, that a Christian leader is first of all, to be holy, and he is to be sincere. He says in chapter 1, verse 12, for our proud confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially toward you. For we write nothing else to you than what you read and understand, and I hope you will understand until the end. Paul is saying that that he's been transparent, he's been sincere, He's been holy. When he wrote another letter to them, First Corinthians, he said, um, I had no other agenda. There were no hidden meanings. I conveyed to you very uh upfrontly what I wanted to convey. There was nothing hidden about my life or my letter to you. He also told us that a leader, a servant of God, is to love and care about the people that he ministers to. In chapter 2, verse 4, we read, Speaking, I take it of the letter we call First Corinthians, he said, for out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not so that you would be made sorrowful, but that you might know the love which I have especially for you. Paul said, when I, when I sat down to write that first letter, I cried. There were, there were tear stains on the paper. I knew it would make you sad because I had to re- uh, rebuke you for your sin, but th- that wasn't my ultimate goal to make you sad. I was expressing my love for you. So that's, that's what a servant is. That's what a leader is. He's to be holy and sincere. He's to love the people he ministers to. And he's also to make sure that he speaks the word with biblical integrity, he does not compromise the scriptures. He told us this in chapter 2. Verse 17, when speaking of the false teachers, he said, for we are not like many peddling the word of God. We're not religious hucksters. We're not con artists. We don't peddle God's word. He said, but as from sincerity, as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. Paul is saying that when he spoke God's word, he didn't water it down. He didn't dilute it. He didn't make it more palatable. He spoke the word of God just as God had given it to him. He didn't try to tickle the ears of people so that they would feel good and he would be popular. He was not a peddler of the word of God. He was a faithful dispenser of God's truth. He also said that when he did preach, the emphasis of his message was the new covenants of salvation in Christ. Chapter three, all throughout chapter three, he speaks about this in verse five. He says, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. Uh, Why did he need God's strength in this? He tells us in verse 6, speaking of God who has made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. What he is saying is that we don't preach the law of Moses. We may use the law of Moses to show people their sin, but The emphasis of our message, the emphasis of our ministry is the grace of God in Jesus Christ, that He died for our sins. He was our substitute Savior. And that's the message we preach. And Paul said in verse 12, He preached this message boldly because that is the emphasis of what we're about. That is the New Testament, the new covenant of salvation in Christ. We also discover from Paul that a true man of God not only preaches the right message, but He lives by the high standards of the message he preaches. Chapter 4, verse 2 says, But we have renounced the hidden things because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Paul said that when he became a Christian, he put away those things that were shameful. He didn't do those things um, in uh, private or in public that would bring shame upon him. He denounced that kind of stuff. He had been transformed by Jesus Christ and he lived a different way of life. And he said that his ultimate goal was to please Christ. That's what it was all about. Chapter 5. Verse 9, he said, therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him, whether we live or die while we are in his presence, whether we're on earth walking with him in fellowship or at home in heaven with Christ. Our goal, our ultimate goal and aim is to please Jesus Christ. Why, he says, verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We will give an account. We will answer to Christ. Now, I don't think Paul is saying that you're motivated because you, you uh, want rewards to do those things that honor Christ, but knowing that this life is not the end, knowing that we are answerable to Christ, we want to please him. Knowing that we're not our own authority, we answer to a higher authority, and that's the Lord. We want to please him, whether in life or in death. However, there is another reason why a Christian leader needs to be sure that his conduct is above reproach because of all these things that he said up to this point, but also because we don't want to bring shame upon Christ or his ministry. And that brings us to our present study in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And I'd like to read to you verses 3 through 10. He writes, speaking of himself and every Christian leader and every servant of Christ, giving no cause for offense in anything so that the ministry will not be discredited. But in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God in much endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, in the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left, by glory and dishonor. By evil report and good report, regarded as deceivers and yet true, as unknown yet well known, as dying yet behold we live, as punished yet not put to death, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing but possessing all things. This is one of two lists that Paul mentions, a detailed list of his sufferings. The other is found in chapter 11. Now, why would Paul feel compelled to go into such detail about his suffering? He's not trying to, to make us feel sorry for him. He's not trying to glory in these things. But you'll recall that in chapter 5, Paul declared that God had entrusted him with a ministry, he called it the ministry of reconciliation. That was, that was to say that, that God had called him to go around the Roman Empire and tell people, alienated from God, how to be reconciled tell sinners how to be saved. He was an ambassador of Christ. He traveled about telling people how they can come to know the Lord. He represented Christ. That was Paul's ministry. That was his message. But there was a concern in the apostle's heart that having spoken the wonderful message of salvation, that that message could be hindered. It could be hindered by God's people. In what way? Well, a few weeks ago, we looked at the first way the gospel could be hindered. And that's found in verses one and two, where he says, and working together with him, we also urge you, meaning you Corinthians, not to receive the grace of God in vain. The Corinthians were shaky on God's grace. They were believers, but they had uh, their confidence in Christ's death and and God's grace. Uh, They had it shaken by false teachers. They were not positive that uh, that Christ's death was sufficient for them. False teachers were saying you had to keep the law also in order to be saved. And it it undermined and took away the credibility of the gospel message. And Paul said that I'm concerned that you not receive the grace of God in vain, because when and if as believers we are not solid on appreciating God's grace, we will not live lives of dedicated service to the Lord. If you're not certain about the grace of God and you think that salvation in any way depends upon you, it will affect the way you live. The grace of God teaches us and motivates us to be godly. It is the primary motivation. It is the love of Christ that constrains us. This is why we serve him. This is why we live for him. This is why we should have a heart that says that we'll do anything for him because we understand God's grace in Christ. It's not of us, totally of him. And therefore, once we lack appreciation for the grace of God, we will no longer evangelize. You have no message to tell anybody. You have no message of, of salvation. And that's why Paul says in verse 2, for he says, at the acceptable time, I listened to you and on the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. That is to say, you Corinthians get busy sharing the gospel. This is the time that God is saving people. He saved you by his grace, and now tell others about his grace. The gospel can be hindered if we're, not, if we're not solid on the grace of God. But there is a second way the gospel can be hindered, and we began to look at this a couple of weeks ago, and that is when God's servant, God's leader, discredits the gospel with his lifestyle. Verse 3, giving no cause for offense in anything so that the ministry will not be discredited. Paul puts the spotlight on himself and he says, my burning desire is not to bring any disgrace upon Christ in the ministry. As We said the other week, Paul recognized just as today, there are non-Christians who were looking at his life in order to discover some flaw, some inconsistency in his conduct. Why? So they could justify their unbelief. There are people looking at you, looking at me the same way. Paul didn't want anyone using his lack of consistency as an excuse for not coming to Christ. Well, if that person is a Christian, I'm not interested. If that person is so crooked in their behavior, so unethical, so unloving, so unkind, if they say that they're Christians and I don't don't want that stuff, I'm not interested. That's what Paul is saying. He didn't want the ministry to be a laughingstock because of the way he lived. He didn't want it to be what it's become in many circles today in the American church because of all the scandals that have taken place in the last 10 years of well-known leaders who have fallen. This is why all of us, whether you're a church leader or not, have a responsibility to live out the standards of the Bible before an observing world that is just looking for an excuse to continue to reject Christ. They are looking for flaws in your character in order to support their belief that Christianity isn't true. It's not true. I'd like you to turn, keep your place in 2 Corinthians, but look at Philippians with me. In Philippians chapter two, Paul says something that really ties into this, and I, and I think it's quite convicting and quite true for most of us. He says in verse 14, which, which is a, a, a message in and of itself, chapter two of Philippians, verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing, which means stop complaining. Stop complaining of God's treatment in your life. Stop complaining of your set of circumstances. Stop complaining about ill health and lack of finances and difficulties and family issues. Doesn't mean you can't talk about it, but stop complaining. And then he says, so that, this is why you stop complaining. Stop griping so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent. Children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked, and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. What Paul is saying is as we hold out the precious word of God to people, let's make sure that our character shines in a in a dark and sinful culture. Instead of griping and complaining about our lives and God's treatment of us, Let's focus on living a life that is above reproach, living a life that is above being criticized for some glaring sin, especially the sin of complaining and griping, which we all tend to do at times. That is what Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians, at least one aspect of it. Paul's genuine concern was that as a minister of Christ, his life was above reproach. It should be ours as well. It should be ours as well. It should be the burning desire. In your life to be a good testimony for Christ. So the question is, how can we show a watching world that's waiting for us to fall and would delight and enjoy us falling? How can we show them that Jesus Christ is real and that the message we proclaim is true? The answer is then we are to live exactly the way Paul lived in terms of persevering through the trials of life. There is nothing greater than perseverance that demonstrates. The genuineness of Christ. Notice verse 4. But in everything he writes, commending ourselves, Paul said, I, I want to introduce myself. I want to commend myself as a servant of God. How do you do that, Paul? The key word here and phrase is in much endurance. That first phrase, in much endurance, this uh expression stands apart from the from the other words that he will list. Why do I say that? Because there, it's different than the other words. Number one, it's singular as, as opposed to plural. Number two, it has an adjective. So it describes something in much endurance. And Paul's point is to say this, that he presented himself as Christ's true servant by revealing that he patiently endured all of the trials of life that were connected with his ministry. He was steadfast. He was loyal to Christ. He didn't quit, but he was steadfast, loyal, persevering, in all of this. And that's his purpose in uh, in listing these various trials to, to show that there must be something. There must be something real and genuine to Christ and his message, or else why wouldn't he just walk away from this? Why would you put up with all these trials? You certainly wasn't making a whole lot of money. Why would you do this? See, one of the the reasons that God does send those trials, not the only reason, but one major reason is to show others by our perseverance that Christ is the truth, that Christ is real and that he must be behind our service. He must be behind our service. He must be behind our calling. Why? Because he's sustaining us because if it was up to us, we'd just quit. We'd say, I don't need this anymore. We'd never endure such suffering if it was just something for ourselves. Never. Now, last time we studied 2 Corinthians, we began to examine this rather lengthy list of Paul's trials, and we noted that that they could be classified into several categories. We looked at the first one last time, and I'll only mention it very briefly. Verse 4, he says, But in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God in much endurance, here's how we endure, in what? In afflictions, in hardships, in distresses. These are the general trials. That's how I would categorize this. These are the general pressures and difficulties that come with serving the Lord. I don't care what service you're involved in, you're going to have difficulty. Nobody has a perfect service for Christ. Nobody has that. It's met with uh, misunderstandings. It's met with people who will criticize you. It's met with conflicts. These are just the general trials that go with the territory. It just happens. Now, this morning, as we continue looking at Paul's list of sufferings, we want to examine two more categories of his trials, in which the apostle now gets very specific as to what he had to endure for the cause of Christ. And I think this is very inspiring. As I've studied it these last few weeks, my own heart has been stirred to to want to be of a greater service to Christ and greater availability. When I think of what Paul went through, I realize that... uh, We all need a deeper commitment that I need a deeper commitment. You see, the primary truth of these verses is to teach that those who are steadfast like Paul never disgrace the Lord or his ministry. They never do it because they reveal by their endurance that he's worth suffering for. And I would say of special note are those of you who are preparing for full-time ministry. If you're preparing for the ministry, then then pay careful attention to this because these are the high standards of what God expects us to endure as we go through difficulties in ministry. There's
2: something you won't often hear from the popular big-time TV and radio preachers. If you are serving Christ, you will suffer. There will be extra difficulties in your life on top of the normal difficulties that all people experience because you are one of God's ambassadors to planet Earth. In fact, Paul considered that suffering to be an honor. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul said, For to you it has been granted, for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. He wrote that from prison. Both the belief and the suffering Paul considered to be gifts from God. Isn't that a cheerful thought? Nevertheless, we're glad to have you with us today for Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve would enjoy meeting you if you're in the area, so why not stop in for a visit some Sunday? The address is 1893 Sunset Point Road. Call 727-441-1714 or go to lakesidechapel.com for service times and other information. That's 727-441-1714 or www.lakesidechapel.com. Today's broadcast is part of a series from 2 Corinthians chapter 6 titled, Hindrances to the Gospel. If you missed any previous programs and want to get caught up, you can do that at our website, firstbyverseradio.org. Click the Message Archive tab and search for the date you need. And please, feel free to browse and enjoy any of the hundreds of broadcasts that are available at no charge. You may even want to sign up for our podcasts. Another feature of our website is the giving page. We praise the Lord for the generous listeners who help pay for our expenses and pray for our ministry. It's safe and easy to give online if the Lord is giving you a nudge in that direction. That's versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. I just took a look at some of the current prayer requests at the Voice of the Martyrs website. They include requests for a Chinese pastor whose church was forced by the government to close for not joining the state-run church. The pastor is being questioned by officials. Local authorities in Indonesia are pressuring a house church to close. A pastor in Pakistan has been in prison since 2012. And the list goes on. We have it pretty easy in this country. So far, it's mostly emotional persecution. But for how long? On our next verse by verse, Pastor Steve will share some thoughts on how Paul faced persecution.
0: We are here to give you strength between Sundays.